Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to TempleofGeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook, at Temple of Geek, for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. How are things? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Have, uh, have you been playing anything new? Yeah, I mean, you know that I have, and I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit it, but uh, I've been playing Batman. Love it. Listen, I'm not a Batman fan, and I think I'm probably alone in this, because I'm pretty sure everybody else on the Temple of Geek staff is all huge Batman fans. But to me, he's just a rich prick with a bunch of toys. However, the Telltale game Batman is fire, and I'm super enjoying playing it. I'm going to do a playthrough where I play him like the traditional Batman in the comics, you know, don't do any murders, keep your nose clean, all that sort of stuff, and then I'm going to give it another run-through where I play him how I think he is a jerk. (laughs) Uh, I I really enjoyed that game. That was, uh, that's a, to me, Telltale Games, and we've said this on the show before, is I would say hit or miss because they're more hits than miss misses in my opinion. But there are a few of their games that I think are just straight trash. The and I, and I, you know, ah, that's I feel so bad because of how much work goes into those. Um, how can I say this? They're not good. How about that? Is that better? They're not good. The Game of Thrones Telltale series is not good. It is. It's really, buggy. I thought it was fine. Like, but you, are you a big fan of Game of Thrones? Yeah, I am. I read all the books and everything, so okay. I guess maybe I was a bit more forgiving. You must have been. I, I was really expecting a similar experience to well, two things with that one, and and we'll get back to topic maybe. One, I was expecting something more along the lines of anything close to Game of. I mean, uh, to Walking Dead or. Borderlands, anything close to either one of those type games. Uh, in terms of humor or story or, uh, you know, impact of your of your decisions. And, and you're not alone. Obviously, lots of people really enjoyed the Game of Thrones one. Uh, Telltale game. I've read the books as well. I was a huge fan up until it started to derail. The whole train started to de- derail towards the end. But in terms of the books, I've always been a fan of the books, and I've always really enjoyed and appreciated kind of like the the smaller families and stuff like that. And there were a couple stories where I really thought they could go. They they just didn't take any chances. They just nothing. There isn't anything new about that game. You could not play that game, and you will not have missed anything in the story because none of the families and none of the people in that game have any m- impact on anything that happens in the story 
right? It's like they they didn't find an ice dragon. Spoiler alert on a game that's four or five years old. They didn't find an ice dragon. They, uh, you know, nothing new was discovered on the other side of the wall, really. You know, other than that one little grove that maybe might be magical. I don't know. Anyway, I just, I was supremely disappointed and I was most, and I probably would have forgiven all of that if it wasn't as buggy and I didn't like fail things multiple times for no reason. See, I played it on mobile and I think the experience was quite different on mobile. That may have been, that may have been the case. Uh, I played it on console, played it on Xbox, uh, Xbox One and... I mean, because I have a problem with the current, the the most recent uh, Walking Dead, where I'm stuck in a forest with zombies where the kids are trying to train me to do some such, and it's just, I can't get past it. I've tried several times to get past that cutscene. It's impossible. It's, like, bugged, or I'm stupid, one or the other, but I've been (laughs) stuck on it for, I mean, I haven't picked it up in probably six months. I've been stuck on it for ever since it came out i got it i think day one release and i can't play the damn thing so that's great yeah i I played the game of thrones games so many times because i wanted to test all the different possible sort of endings that there were and just know that ramsey's a jerk and yeah he's a jerk no matter matter what what. yeah well did you get anything from it somewhere did you get did you get what did you get from the game of thrones game then that or I guess it was just that no interrupted gameplay you didn't have the hitches that I did and and maybe you were able to kind of appreciate and understand this you know appreciate the story because I I was hooked from the beginning it's this new family that you're not really you don't really know and and some of that dynamic I I appreciated I I did enjoy that stuff Um, I thought that the north had some really interesting stories still to tell and this was a family you'd never heard of? Anyway. I'm I'm glad that you're enjoying the Batman game though. Because it is yeah, it is a good bad. one. Um I I'm in a I'm at a moral dilemma and we'll talk about this in news, but um I went into Warcraft. If, if, okay, I was gonna say if you say Disco Elysium one more time, I want a divorce. <laughs> well, I have been playing that. <laughs> no, um, yeah, uh, it, this may be a... The thing about that game, though, is it's... I, I no, probably played no, it now you're talking about, I've done this, this was an error, I make a mistake, tell me about Warcraft, tell me about <laughs> Warcraft. <laughs> Disco Elysium's a good game. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> Warcraft. Uh, I got into Warcraft and, and I've played through the, the beginning scenarios of the of the latest patch, which came out a, a, you know, a couple weeks ago. And... Then with all the Blizzard news that that has come out, I just I just am at a, I'm at a moral dilemma. And we'll talk about the Blizzard news uh, during that section of the of the podcast. But um, it just killed my desire. It, I like I didn't want to play it. I was I was disappointed. I kind of you, you. It's like I think I finally saw the Matrix. I, I started seeing all the numbers as, as I stared at the screen, and I was like, man. What am I doing, man? Anyway, so uh, I would I played uh, I played a little bit of Warcraft, and that's that's really the only game that I think I've been able to to play on my Switch. I've played some. Uh, they added a few weeks ago. They added some uh, Super Nintendo games and uh, Breath of the Wild, 
you know they've got uh, Link to the Past on there, uh, and a, and then a, they always are adding NES. Link to the stuff. Past. Wow, that's yeah. such a cheesy play on words. Nice, I know, right? Uh, and he to goes to infinity and beyond. <laughs> well, he it's it's a good game. I. I actually probably started every single one of the games just because of the nostalgia factor. I started them all, and then I was like, ah, I love that music. All right, next thing. Hmm, that's, oh, I remember that. Oh, yep, next thing. <laughs> Some of them have replay value. I think I've also said this on the show before, but they're not. We have come a long way in gaming. It is very, uh, it's very apparent when you boot up an 8-bit game. Uh, how far we've come and how, you know, when you didn't have anything else to do except for play this game because this is how games were, well, then I can totally see that. But when you're like, I could be playing Jedi Fallen Order or I could come back over here and play this, play Gradius. Yeah, I'm going to play Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. Gradius Amen. Is, Every yeah. time Xbox comes out with a new game on Game Pass and it's some piece of crap remastered from the 80s, I'm always furious because I didn't pay for that. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I guess lastly, I, the, I, did, I have been playing one other game. I got something for Christmas. I got a uh, Pac-Man stand-up cabinet, and I've been playing Pac-Man. Pac-Man, of all of the games that I've gotten, uh, I've got joust i've got one cabinet that's got four games in it joust rampage um missile command and uh gauntlet and gauntlet's fun um but gauntlet's not fun to play by yourself gauntlet you want to play with somebody else uh joust is really not fun to play by yourself pac-man actually is fun to just boot up and play it's it's fun it's you don't you're definitely not going to play it for a really long time. I don't know the patterns. I'm not trying to set the high score. Although in my family, I do have the high score. Um, oh surprise! You're probably the only one who plays it. Oh no no! Besides an eight year old. Eight year old plays it. My daughter hasn't. My oldest daughter hasn't played it uh, much. My two year old wants to play it all the time, but and she's terrible. She is the worst. She cannot play that game at all. She is. Yeah, yes. two-year-olds suck. Let's be mean to two-year-olds. <laughs> she is no good at Pac-Man. I, I just, I drowned her every single time we play. Wow, that sentence had a very concerning resolution. <laughs> well, we play multiple times, so she can't drown. She can only literally drown once. So it's like I meant drowned her in points. Um. So anyway, she's not good. Pac-Man's great, and uh, Blue and what about is, your missus, the most understanding wife on the freaking planet? Mine, she bought it for me, so yeah. Um, you better hold on to that one, cause I'm a gamer, and even I wouldn't let a cabinet in my household. Yeah, well, you also don't have the space. I think it makes sense. Even if I did have the bloody space, what an eyesore! Oh no, it's glorious over there. Well, this is my room, though. See. This room is my room. Oh, has. must be nice to all have our own rooms and so much space. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh, we don't live on an island. Um, I guess kind of we do. I guess everyone does, technically. But, the uh, yeah, in here, there's also a trampoline, just so you know. I mean, we just have space for a trampoline inside. So the trampoline's in here. 
next to Jesus the two Christ, arcade you trying cabinets. to embed your head into the attic? <laughs> you would. If you jumped high enough, you would. Soon enough, that's going to have to go out. You know, once my son's a little bit taller, he's not going to be able to jump on it anymore. Well, you'll find out when it has to go out when you have a head-sized dent in the ceiling. Yeah, or if he heads, you know, heads a beam and knocks himself out and he's just sleeping on top. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I'm worried about you guys. Yeah, I think you need to child-proof the house a bit more, yeah? Yeah, maybe. The baby can't get up there yet, so we're She we're can good. yet, but it won't take long for her to figure out, ooh, bouncy thing is fun, and then does she oh, face plants? Oh, she likes plants. to jump on it. She likes to jump on it. We just have to put her up there, and so that means you got to watch her. Um, that's after I've drowned her in Pac-Man. Um, Jesus. Choice so. of words is questionable. <laughs> the, so, uh, well, that's what we've been playing. So, brings us to the news, and... Uh, Yeah, I got some tasty nuggets for you today. Yes. So, Amanda, I'll let you go first, because I'm just going to lambast Blizzard for a while. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, So, I guess the first piece of news is that a couple weeks ago, BT, which stands for British Telecom, they're, you know one of the, I mean, not one of the, they are the largest telecoms provider in the UK. They used to be, I think, government owned, and then uh, they had a monopoly, and then they were forced to sell off parts of their business to create competition in the marketplace. Um, And they are now an ISP partner for Google Stadia's cloud gaming. Now that happened about two weeks ago. And uh, basically, I think they wrote something into their packages where if you were gaming on Google Stadia, that that sort of um, download and upload would not count against your um, ISP. Uh, So any data limits or whatever. They sometimes form these partnerships over here with uh, Netflix or YouTube and things like that, where if you're streaming Netflix or YouTube, it doesn't count against um, fixed data packages. So that's cool. However, um, within the last day, uh, people have started to say that it looks like Google is abandoning Stadia already um, with, you know, lack of frequency of updates and missed deadlines. And uh, people are starting to say that they they think that the project is basically DOA and that regardless of the partnerships that they've made in the previous weeks, because they're missing deadlines on big drops that were promised or features that were promised, it seems like they're just not resourcing it properly. The uptake was poor as everyone sort of expected it to be. Um, and it might end up in the Google graveyard. With everything else that they've abandoned. With everything Which else, including Google Which is a significant, substantial list of, of... But I also think that that's probably not necessarily that unusual for a, a company like Google to to try to innovate and see if it works and then abandon and then try to innovate and then abandon and try to innovate and try to change or, or make or create these different apps and, and uh, applications for specifically for or Google related products. But some of them were really good and they abandoned them and were useful and people used them and, and they were popular. And then there were some that were not. And then there's this, which we've talked about on the show multiple times. And, and I, you know, I I don't know that it's not really my field or my wheelhouse, but I would imagine something like this. You pretty much have to go all in on, and really, really 
I mean, really put all your most of your eggs in this basket, which could sink you, I think, if it didn't work and you really were putting everything into it. So maybe they are seeing the writing on the wall that this is some this is the future, but the future's not now, potentially, maybe. I don't know. It's totally possible, but I think one way that they could have made the initial buzz better was by providing free review samples to key industry thought leaders, you know, people like Jim Sterling and Kotaku and all these other big agencies. They should have had uh, pre-release versions of the console that they could actually test in real time and show to people that it was working. Because I think the biggest problem was people just didn't believe that a standard connection could handle it um and you know some people are seeing reduced graphics and bad frame rates and also you know the sort of thing that you would imagine would happen so i think they could have done a lot better with pr and influencer marketing in this instance and that's what really started the ball rolling downhill for this project in my opinion but you are right like it is the future eventually someone will crack it but it is bizarre that that person doesn't seem to be google yeah or yeah it does um, because whoever it is, give Jeff Bezos a crack at it, man, he probably, uh, yeah, he probably, and but see the thing, that's the thing, I guess Amazon could, cause they've got experience in streaming. So there are people there. I mean, they do everything from groceries. I mean, they do everything at Amazon. A to uh, Z. And so they used to just sell books. Kids. I remember. I remember um, what the website looked like when they first sold books. Boy, it was ugly. White and orange. <laughs> like really 1990s looking stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. And so now and now they do everything. And uh, Google does a lot of things. And you would have, I would have thought, I, I did not think this, I did not think Google Stadia was going to work the way that it was. And the way that they had it set up and the, based on the promises that they were making. And that's not to say that it's completely abandoned yet. We don't know that for sure. It's It just seems that way. Science, my magic eight ball is uh, predicting it not going well. Yeah, same, especially with some new um, discussion around PS4 and Nintendo Switch. So, as you know, PlayStation has sort of been out of the handheld game for a really long time, and they recently asked some of their, like, PlayStation Plus members what they would think about remote um, gaming via the Nintendo Switch. So if there's a possible cross-platform collaboration deal on the table between um, PlayStation and Nintendo, a rival in the sector, then I think that's probably... The first step on the way to cloud gaming is basically the elimination of platform. Um, So if there are hardware makers and software makers and the platforms are interchangeable, so if you wanted to play a PlayStation game on the PlayStation Network, you could still play it with Nintendo hardware or Xbox hardware or whatever sort of hardware you wanted. That's sort of the first step, in my opinion, to a more of a cloud gaming bent because then it sort of separates the periphery from the game manufacturers and, and the product itself a little bit. Uh, so that's interesting. No like real details on if on that's that. a real thing, but they wouldn't have asked about it in a survey if it wasn't a possibility. So that's quite interesting to me. Um, 
But my, my last bit of news is actually about uh, some commemorative stamps that have come out in the UK to celebrate um, the um, British gaming industry in the 80s and 90s. And it's got some pretty cool stamps that features uh, Worms and Tomb Raider and like loads of other classic games in it. And it's not very expensive for a pack of the stamps. So if you know anyone in England that's not me, uh, you can <laughs> ask them to pop a pack in the post to you because they're quite really cool like collectible things um and they're available from any royal mail post office uh, i'm gonna be honest i think that is cool and i did collect stamps as a kid so i was lame um but that's that's cool and really fascinating about the potential future nintendo and playstation have worked together in the past and and that ended sourly in the 90s and so i wonder if because both of those companies i mean yeah, playstation's not really going to work with xbox first i'm just going to say not japanese companies this is not not going to work but ps4 or playstation and or sony and playstation and nintendo old you know old companies in japan i i could if they reconciled, if they reconciled and did this, it's going to be a huge boon to Nintendo's the Switch, which to me truly is not a competition for the other two. That not just in my opinion, it's not competition. It's different. It would be competition for the a new PSP. It would be competition for some garbage handheld that Xbox came out with or Google, but it's not. You know, I don't, and just my opinion again. So no, of course, I don't think that they're planning to release any more handhelds. I think PlayStation is moving away from that, um, and I would assume that this is probably a pull to attract people who only had Nintendo and say Xbox and never had a you know people like myself who never had a uh, PlayStation account could never play any PlayStation games this does provide them an opportunity to play on a much cheaper console than a PS4 so it actually gives them some market share they might not have had before they're they're they'll still get some tertiary benefit from people who have PlayStation accounts playing it on the Switch. That's great. And live services models and all sorts. They can make revenue from that. But it does open a previously unopened market space for them because they haven't had a peripheral out since the PSP2. Light or whatever yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was many years ago. Yeah. I'd say it's close, and to, double, it sucked. close to double digits. Do you know anyone that had that? I know that people that had the PS1, it was moderately popular, but I don't know anybody that had the PS2, PSP2, basically. That's what the I'm going to I've only heard of people. Like, when I listened to Kind of Funny and Greg Miller, I think Greg Miller had one, because uh, he talks about, I mean, he's a big Sony fanboy. He'll tell you first that he is um, on his shows. But, um, no, that's the only person. I never did. It, it just it did not appeal to me. But handheld gaming at the time, the type of games that you could play, handheld games, nothing really appealed to me. I think they, I think there was a Metal Gear game that came out on that, on that PlayStation or on the PSP, um, Peace Walker maybe. 
came out on it. I don't know for sure. Probably but, um, like Need for Speed Underground or something like that. Like yeah, I remember yeah. the, the racing games being on the original one, so I imagine on the second one. I just I have no desire to play on a, a a real game on a tiny screen. I'll play like stupid little mobile games or little like RPG walkthrough right. telltale things. But I don't know, a mobile screen is too small for me. Like I don't think you get very good precision. I don't think you can even see the scope if you're trying to aim in like a shooter or something. It's just, what is the point? When when you can play on a 55-inch television, why wouldn't you? I don't get it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that, Doom is the only thing I haven't played uh, that I that I would want to kind of see how it plays on the uh, Switch. I know Doom's on the Switch now, and I've everything else I've played, I've played Breath of the Wild, I've played... Um, I've played... Uh, but would you say the experience is on better small screen. on a tiny screen versus no, a proper TV? No, no. And I'd say across the board, it's always better on a big screen. But is it enjoyable on the small screen? And everything I've played so far has been enjoyable. It's just not ideal. It's not the best way to well, play Well, I've got some ideas for our main topic that'll <laughs> deal with that. <laughs> the good thing about the Switch is it's not hard at all to plug it in. You take it from where it is and you put it on the stand and now it's on your TV and that's in seconds. And so... That is one good thing about it, but uh, for me, news, um, I don't want to say R.I.P. Blizzard, but uh, Blizzard has really pooped the bed um, lately. They uh, recently released Warcraft Warcraft 3 Reforged, so it was a remaster, in quotes, remaster of Warcraft 3, The Frozen Throne, uh, Reign of Chaos, I believe. Maybe that was Warcraft 2. Anyway, it's the story of Arthas. And uh, they've lumped in the the DLC stuff, the the expansion with Illidan. And and Blizzard, during BlizzCon, uh, they announced... They, they announced and showed footage of this, uh, actual gameplay footage. They showed some of the in-game cutscenes. Uh, and, and a lot of promises were made about how this game was supposed to come out. And so they were taking pre-orders. From the very beginning, there was very limited information that you could get outside of just that news conference. There was very limited information. Uh, I I loved this game. This is Warcraft was the reason I played World of Warcraft. It was my favorite RTS. I hadn't ever played a real, you know, an RTS before. And uh, and so that was my kind of my gateway into it. And, and I played StarCraft after that. Two fantastic, incredible games. And then uh, Warcraft 3 came out. And I believe this was like the early 2000s uh, when Warcraft 3 came out. And it was much better. It had like a single player component to it for the most part. Where you're just taking control. And this story of Arthas was uh, was in, was incredible. It was great. They also have always been known for their their cinematic cut cutscenes. So Blizzard's known for their cinematic cutscenes, and you kind of wait for that, and you you know that once you reach a certain point in the game or or in the story that you're going to get one of those cutscenes. So basically, all this stuff was supposed to be re- revamped. The UI was supposed to be revamped. Um, and none of that happened. None of none of those things really happened. Of course not, because it not wasn't real. real. It wasn't real. And uh, the there was there was a there's a bit of difference between 
the the recorded lines and what was actually put into the final game in terms of like maybe tone or um but bottom line basically very little was done to change the game and it's what it seems like is Blizzard began putting money into this and then felt like they can't they couldn't make money on it. They're not going to make that much money on it, so let's not put that much effort into it. And I don't know if that's Blizzard or Activision who made that call to it, it, it I equate it to what we were just talking about with Google Stadia that they they put all this in there but then they were like, "Wait a second, starting to get cold feet. This game is this is an RTS. RTSs don't make money anymore. Nobody makes a, you know, real-time strategy game." Um and on top of that, they put in this stipulation because, again, remember, if, if you've got the Blizzard downloader, like their, their, uh, their uh, UI that goes under your, uh, that goes under your computer, that, that all of, it houses all of their games. So you can just scroll down and pick any of their games, upload, download. Everything can be controlled from that one little uh, screen. If, you've, if you go down to the bottom where reforged has been since they announced it there has been not one bit of news they usually add things weekly like if there's news or if there's an update or if there's anything to report about the game there's something they have had the same cinematic there since they announced it nothing else has been added at all not even a blurb or a you know nothing it's been the same screen and to me that was a huge red flag i'm not gonna buy this game if you're not telling me anything else about it and i love Blizzard games. I mean, every it was kind of all I played for a long time was <laughs> Blizzard games, whether it be Overwatch or Diablo three or World of Warcraft or Heroes of the Storm, which they abandoned. Um, and so anyway, they they went on and and it gets worse. Blizzard has Blizzard's doing worse and worse things. Um, from from this, so they so they released it a couple weeks ago. It's not what they promised it would be. People have already paid for it, mind you. They've already pre-ordered this game. There are reports surfacing right now that Blizzard is banning players for helping get refunds for their game. Banning players for getting refunds for a game that they promised that is not what it said. It is the lowest rated game on Metacritic in the history of games. It is below one. I think it was a uh, 0.6 last I looked. Something like that. Yeah, last time I looked, it was 1.6, then it was 1.3, and now when I looked at it this morning, it was below one. Lowest rated game on Meta, and and it's deserved. And it, but I, but I don't. I know that there are good people at Blizzard. I, like I said, I'm a fan of Blizzard. I don't know what happened when Activision got in there and started changing the business practices. Someone's in there changing the business practices. Oh, it's now in 0. 0. 0.5. <laughs> 0. 0.5. That's getting lower. <laughs> I, you know, I won't buy it. And, and I don't know that, you know, it's got me, it's got me wondering what happened to the Diablo mobile game? Is it, did it even come out? I've heard nothing. No, it, I don't game. think it's come out yet. And it probably I don't will think it's going to come out. The same treatment or just be abandoned altogether. I think it's going to be abandoned. They announced it. It was met with less than enthusiastic applause and more boos and, and angry pitchforks, I think. And then when they finally figured out, oh, this is not what they want. Oh, just because you get a cell phone doesn't mean this is what you want. 
they may abandon that. And they're, now they're announcing Diablo 4, which is something they probably have to be working on. You had to have already been working on that for you to be as far along as they are to have the cutscene. That anyway, it just it seems very disingenuous. A lot of this stuff, it's like you got two completely different companies working together. And they are not on the same page with things. Yeah, and they've updated their end-user license agreement so that they now own anything you create based on their assets, which is not something that previously existed. In fact, the all the Dotas that exist originated from a set of assets, a mod, so to speak, created by a member of the community off of original sort of Warcraft assets. So the idea that Dota is now a huge game mechanic I don't know type of game I don't know whatever in in its own right. right and owned by Valve who bought it from the original creator the fact right. that that's now no longer an option if you were to come up with a game type using Warcraft assets um, they would own it in perpetuity without having to compensate you for it and that's also what a lot of people are mad about because there's no Very reason mad. to yeah. evil, even try to create anything with the world either it's one thing to have a bad game to start with it's another thing to also not be able to let the user community make it any better which has been something in the PC community for since the beginning of the PC community is to be able to mod things to be able to take the take that was one of the unique things about PC gaming was that freedom to kind of tinker with and toy and and an agreement I think it was one of the things that gamers and PC gamers they loved and there was a mutual understanding between the developers and and the PC gamers that we're going to create this sandbox so to speak with all of these tools and provide an opportunity here's our game but they but gamers had an opportunity to improve upon it they had an to innovate with the assets and it was this understanding between the developers and the and the game players and it just seems like now it's like we want all of our toys and we want the we want you to pay for our toys and then if you you know and then we also want to pay for any games that you literally pay for any games that you come up with that are not exactly like what we put out there for you it's ours everything you do with our game is ours well, they, it, they definitely won't be able to uphold the no refund policy that they seem to have because in Australia, the European Union, and England, uh, we have 15-day consumer protection rights. So they it, it's violation of the law for them to withhold a refund within the 15-day window, regardless. Like, that's the law. And um, I think... I don't know if it was Activision or EA, but one of the companies recently got absolutely smashed in Australian courts for violating that consumer protection right. Because it doesn't, it does not matter. You have to um, give uh, refunds if it's found to be under false advertising or not perform as claimed or um, be faulty in any way. And because these games are promised with such big claims that never materialize, it falls under uh, advertising standards authority in this country and and in others, similar bodies. I think they're going to get hit with a class action. Right. And, and is it just, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it, is, what it would be psychologically that would, or business-wise, or maybe maybe it's a combination of both. 
do what you think you can get that away make... with. That's why they're doing it. They think they can get away with it. They have to get hit with a large enough class action, class action lawsuit to teach them to never do this again and to teach the industry to never do it again because the biggest part about class action lawsuits is it teaches a lesson in perpetuity. Right. Yeah. So I really do think that um, Australian, European, and British gamers who purchase this game should seriously consider filing a class action lawsuit against this discriminatory policy that violates their consumer rights. And hopefully you can win judgment large enough to teach the industry to stop over-promising and under-delivering. Because it's getting exhausting, I think, for all of us. How many flops have we had? In the last few right. years, I mean, Anthem, I liked it, but it was still considered a flop. Fallout 76, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, this game, uh, I'm sure there are others that I'm not thinking of. Like, it's a bit shocking, no? Right. Well, and they've, they've even Battle for Azeroth has limped into the finish line. So they've, something has happened at Blizzard over the last, I don't know, seven, eight months in the development of the final patches for Battle for Azeroth, where they have always had an 8.3.5 patch or a 0.3.5 patch, whatever it is. So there's usually, you know, a, a patch and then a, and then a mid-patch and then another major patch and then a mid-patch. And that mid-patch is right before the next expansion always. So 7.3.5 was right before 8.0. And 8.0 was the new expansion well they've dropped the 8.3.5 patch if they had it they they are not revealing what it may have been they've kind of lumped everything into this and now they're going to have a longer gestation period i guess for the next expansion with no new content than they've ever had maybe since uh battle for draenor which has been deemed probably the worst expansion and this expansion, I said from the very beginning, I guess a year ago or whenever, a little over a year ago, whenever it came out, that the story in this one is the best that they've ever done. They did an incredible job with the story, but they're limping into the final and limping into across the finish line. And, and, it, and it just doesn't make any sense. All of the people I know that do content for World of Warcraft are like, they're messing up. How are they going to pull this off? Like it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Whatever they're doing, so. Well, with the recent off. drops in their share prices, I think they might not have too much time to figure it out. Yeah, well, and they brought it on themselves. It, you know, Jim Sterling and it says it, and and it's just a fact. You cannot have a business model where your your goal is to have all the money. You can't have all the money. Okay, you can only have some of the money. And if you're getting the same amount of money or a little more than you got last time, I think that's a good thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to continue to improve and innovate, but you can't have all the money. It just doesn't work that way. People have to buy food, too. You know, there's just like other things people buy. Uh, I think geez. right now they're not even trying to innovate. They're trying to see the minimum, like... So agile development, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but basically the whole concept is the minimum viable product. So whenever they talk about doing agile development, it just means the like barely tolerable piece of crap that you will still buy for the same amount of money. 
Yeah, that's how it, right. it's evolved over the years. Previously, it was supposed to be like a way of introducing incremental changes and improving things one little step at a time by frequent updates and things like that. That that basically was the point. But now it's become how low can we set this bar and reduce our costs so that you still buy it at full price and we spent you know 75% of 100 in order to deliver it or 50% of 100 in order to deliver it and then once that new low bar has been set that's where they'll develop at or even try to go lower so I think Warcraft 3 is a great example of modern agile methodology which is basically like hey could we get away with this piece of crap no okay (laughs) you know what I mean right right yeah and they can, and that's, you know, you, I think you're seeing that trend in, in everything in, from sales to anything where money's involved and there's a product. I think you're finding that that minimum viable product is, is, the, is the rule of the day. Uh, I have a theory about that. It has nothing to do with sports. Anyway, I mean, nothing to do with, it has to do with sports too, but it has nothing to do with gaming. Um. That being said, uh, I guess there's one other news story uh, besides Blizzard's failure and break, which breaks my heart. I'm going to write an open letter to him, just just like a genuine. You broke my heart, you know, um, from, what, uh, from the Godfather, you know, uh, that you broke my heart because I just was very passionate about their games and and I knew that they were too, but somewhere something in there is being corrupted. And the people that are probably, that probably love to make games are, uh, you know, I'm sure they're miserable in all of this. They got to do what they're told, you know? Right. Yeah. Anyway, lastly, uh, I got, uh, Monica from template geek sent me a press release about EA's, quarter three fiscal year 2019 or fiscal year 20 financial resort results which is i don't know if you took a look at that yep um um they're doing okay he's well they're doing better than they did in 18 uh (laughs) and uh you know they they're making 1124 million so i mean they're making billion dollars yeah billion billion with a b it's like (laughs) 1124 million 4 billion in digital net revenue net yep from a company who said that single player gaming was dead (laughs) and now Jedi Fallen Over is the most successful selling game I think of their entire portfolio right although yeah exactly um their their net revenue or I mean their their digital net revenue is is a third maybe or a fourth twenty five percent maybe of their overall revenue, uh, so they're still milking these games, uh, The Sims, FIFA, Need for Speed, uh, Plants Zombies I think is a free to play or one that's got uh, transactions. microtransactions actually makes up a huge proportion of their income. Yeah, and so anyway, I, I was just scrolling through all of that and and that's uh, you know public. So you could go look at it, too, if you were just bored. Um, but, yeah, I, I just looked through it, and I was like, man, you know, I don't think there's any – I don't think there's a lesson for them to take from this. I don't know, but they should. They should if you put quality into a single-player game with the fact that they had the rights to Star Wars and could have made some really quality games. I've got Battlefront, you know. I've got it, and, and I – 
I would have taken it back had my son not wanted wanted to play the online portion of it. But he knows I'm not going to buy any of that stuff. And or I wouldn't have and I wasn't going to let him buy any of that stuff. Um and he played it probably four or five times and he's never played it again. Yeah. It's just what I'm saying, minimal viable um, product. So the problem with the Star Wars game is the amount of development time, story writers, content, artwork, design that it takes to make a full single player experience that only makes them 60 quid once is not economically viable when stood up against people that are willing to play Plants vs. Zombies and spend, you know, two, three bucks on little card packs every other day. Like, that's why such a big proportion of their income is probably generated in $2 increments. Like, it just right. doesn't make sense for them to make those sort of games unless the people start fighting back against it unless regulation is put in place unless clash action lawsuits happen in order to teach them you know that this model is no longer economically viable um but you know the guy you know the the boss over at ea is not a star wars fan he doesn't like it he doesn't want to make any good games from it there was talk of doing an open world and he said no so the guy who holds the rights to the franchise in the gaming world doesn't care about the Star Wars franchise. Right. And he's just surprised that people bought it. I mean, how, how can you be so disconnected? And, and it can only come down to the fact that you don't truly understand. You understand money, and you're, and you're definitely, obviously, good at making money. But that's just one skill, and it has nothing to do with making quality products. It has, you know, you... It's manipulation. It's uh, it, there's so much. Do, do you know? Do you know what a plum bob is? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I like to think of the releases of these quality games as a re-leveling of the plum bob. So right. they release tat, bunch of crap, bunch of crap, bunch of crap. Everyone's opinion of EA or Activision or Blizzard or whoever starts to go below the freak out threshold of a 0.5 Metacritic score. Yeah. Wow. And then they yeah. and then they release something good. And the plum bob goes back up. And everybody's like, right. oh, you know, they released a good game. Oh, we loved them. Good job for the Star Wars. Well done. And then people forget <laughs> about all the other that people forget about the loot box. People forget about the gambling in games that kids can access. You know what I mean? They right. forget about all that because they're like, "Oh, it's a good game, and it's got the Star Wars and whatever." What what um, World of Warcraft or what um, Activision Blizzard failed to do was they failed to release Diablo 4 before putting more crap into the marketplace. They've just put too right. much crap into the marketplace in the last like year or so that the plum bob got too low and people freaked out. But if they had released Diablo 4 before they released Warcraft 3, I bet you the reaction wouldn't be as vitriolent. You're probably right. Um, because this is the only new content. They've already released BFA, uh, the last patch, and then they release Reforged, and it, you know, it's a wet fart. It's just, it's no bueno. But if you and only experience the wet fart after opening up a brand new Diablo 4, or, you know, it, who knows what else it could they're be working excused. on. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, it's fine. Like, they were so busy working on Diablo 4, they obviously didn't have the resource for this. Man, that I think that's that would be the headline. That would be exactly what it, you messed up, Blizzard. And and 
yeah, you messed up bad. And this is going to have an impact on Diablo 4. You know, it's like, so the fact that you didn't release it beforehand, now Diablo 4 is going to suffer. And if you release Diablo 4 with some BS auction house mechanic with real world money like you tried to do with Diablo 3, it is going to be worse. People may burn down Blizzard at that point. You know? <laughs> oh, you got to believe they're going to try it. Oh, I know it, and I know it, and I'm, I hate it. To me, and I, this is the highest profile case, in, and, and I, may, I could be wrong on this. You could correct me in the comments, but it's like the highest profile case of almost a, of a bait and switch by a really big company where you people were buying, they were pre-ordering this game. So many people pre-ordered this game. In fact, as far as I know, everybody that had it pre-ordered it because nobody would have bought it the day of having known everything. So, and, and seeing, like, I was waiting to see before I bought it. And I saw everybody's reaction to it, and I was like, oh, no. And now they're trying to get their money back. It's just I, I hadn't seen it maybe on this scale or with a big company. I've seen it with other companies, but not a... Like, I don't know. I think Bethesda's a, Fallout 76 got smashed yeah, to the ground. That's that's true. This is just however, I guess, on that list. However, I will say that Fallout 76 did not come on the back of a bunch of political missteps and right. failed launches and failed press conferences. Like... This game came out on the back of Diablo Immortal, a game nobody bloody wants, and the Hong Kong issue. So people were right. already pissed off with them. So, well, maybe this is why we didn't get into we didn't get press passes for Blizzard or BlizzCon because <laughs> we're not going to get one now. Well, if they don't want to give us press passes because they're critical, because we're critical of their business practices, surely that's just reinforcing our own thoughts. If anything, you would want to invite your critics in order for them to perhaps come with an open mind, but it would be a real error if they kept denying us press passes. I would agree, and it's just that's just unfortunate because it's we don't have. We don't have it in for Blizzard. I, it's you just state the facts, and 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 then you can speculate on the direction that their company's going. I, I have the, I have a lot of hope. I've read some comments on people still wanting to play WoW, and there is a disconnect between whoever, whatever group of Blizzard employees that were working on the mobile Diablo, and then the people like uh, Ian Hazakostis, who seems to have a genuine passion for. World of Warcraft and for the story and for trying to please the fans, which is just impossible. But it's really impossible when you do stuff like this. So, uh, and and rightfully so. This is that's terrible business practice. So, well, that brings us to uh, our main topic, which also was kind of in the news. Uh, but this is a topic that we kind of we hashed out and, and, and uh, began talking about a long time ago, but we never really brought it up in a, in an actual episode. And that is, so taking gaming like out of the house, uh, the, the general idea was, um, you know, how, you know, Wi-Fi or gaming hotels or, you know, how getting gaming out outside of the house, how can we, uh, you know, maybe increase gaming outside of the house. And, and, um, uh, Monica sent me a, another press release um, to speak with the CEO of Atari about an announcement of creating these new gaming hotels. So Atari has signed a contract with a company, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, uh, to create these gaming hotels. So 
just in terms of getting gaming outside of the house and, and being more kind of ubiquitous with lo- everyday life, because, I mean, we do game outside of the house. A lot of people do. We talked about the Switch earlier, um, you know, and, and that's portable. Uh, portable gaming has been a part of gaming since the 90s uh, with the Game Boy. So, um, so just your initial thoughts on this, and then we'll get into maybe some of the you know, where gaming is right now, how big it is, and, and, you know, what these gaming hotels, you know, are and what they could be. Well, um, I'll initially say that I don't think gaming hotels are the thing of the future. And I used to work in the hotel industry briefly, so I sort of know what I'm talking about. And the reason for this is the popularity of hotels is actually decreasing overall. Um, And the future is actually Airbnb and you know house sharing and short lets and things like that people don't want to stay in hotels anymore the popularity of them is decreasing every single year so gaming hotels to me it's more of a fad you know you would go to the atari gaming hotel because you're a fan of the brand and you want to experience their vision for home gaming entertainment you would go there probably once and that would be it and you wouldn't expect those sort of things or really care if those sort of things exist in any other uh, away from home stay environment so if you booked your next airbnb to actually go to a destination you're more interested in the like soft amenities available like breakfast and wi-fi and whatever and you're going to be less concerned if they've got like a gaming chair and a you know whatever because in general, I mean, I've, I've been to 22 countries on this planet, and not once did I spend a single vacation in my hotel room or Airbnb playing video games. Like, that's not right. the point of traveling. So, I, for I'm, me... I'm probably not going to lead with that if I interview the Well, I think you and I probably have different perspectives on it, because Americans don't travel as much as people who live in Europe. Right. So, you know, and Americans tend to like destination hotels and things like that, where you go to like a Sandals Beach Resort and you just chill at the resort the whole time. Those aren't the sort of holidays that people tend to do in Europe. You, like family holidays, you'll go to a resort in like Spain or whatever and you'll spend the time in a resort. But if you're like a single person or a couple, most people tend to do um, city breaks or um, beach breaks or things like that where the point is to be outside and experience the local Erica (laughs) area, the local food, the local culture. So I don't think that sort of thing can really take off in Europe. I think it's a novelty. I think a few of the hotels, I know, uh, I think one does exist in the UK actually, or maybe it's in Europe. I know I've read about one before that isn't Atari. It's like a brand of hotels and that's their thing or whatever. But for me, that is more like a tourist destination like Disneyland and less somewhere where I would want to spend an extended holiday. That's my perspective based on how I travel. Right. You know, and I, I think there's only one way this can work. So, um, I don't want. I guess I, I'll forget if I don't say it. There's the only way I th- think that these hotels can work. Kind of piggybacking on what you said is if you bundle these hotels with events. So, say you know you have. I, I think it'll be a novelty destination for a lot of people. 
Otherwise, they're putting them in big cities. So, you know, people that travel to these cities will who have a have an interest in gaming or a passing interest in gaming might want to check it out. And the ones that do all the time, it looks at least the uh, the preliminary like mock up drawings and stuff make them look pretty cool, at least very interesting looking design for the hotels. Now, I don't know. They don't have anything about the inside. Our hope is is to interview, um, you know, this the CEO or at least some of the administrative uh, decision makers of, at Atari about this in the near future, um, and and so maybe we can get some answers then. But I think that if you bundle these with esports events, uh, which is appear it appears that esports are continuing to grow in popularity, uh, and and uh, not only, I guess, in popularity, but becoming very lucrative. Um, you know, uh, there's a an esports location. I think it's the largest one, maybe, in the world, esports wise. Uh, that is dedicated to esports in Arlington, Texas. It's a hundred thousand square feet. Uh, it's got an eighty five eighty five foot LED wall uh, for you know f- for whatever playing Fortnite or just for display. Um, and 19,000 people attended the uh, the Fortnite final. You know, 19,000 people paid to go watch the Fortnite final where the prize money was $3 million for the winners. So- oh, definitely. I know there's a market in esports. I think the question that I would ask him if I had the chance to is, you know, what sort of traveler are you targeting the other, say, 180 days of the year? I mean, assuming you can fill half the calendar with esport events. Like, who are you right. targeting the rest of the time? Is it business who also like gaming? Is it families? I don't, I don't know. I'm very critical of the concept, but perhaps it hasn't been explained to me well. But I always thought when you go somewhere, you should see the place where you're going. So... Right, and, and since we can't see that yet, there are a lot of questions. And you know, not that it's not unfair to ask those questions or to be critical, uh, but I think just the caveat that it's we don't know yet. Uh, but that would be the question. Those are the questions. Those are legitimate, you know, legitimate questions uh, to ask about it. So, um, I have some some like basic info here uh, from their press release. Now, there are a few things about this gaming hotel. Number one. Uh, so Atari announced a deal with the GSD Group. It is an innovative and strat- uh, strategy agency led by the founder, Shelley Murphy, and her partner, Napoleon Smith III. Now, Napoleon Smith III was also a, a producer on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Uh, right. The, the new ones, not the old ones, but the new ones. And that qualifies them um, to run a hotel chain. This isn't helping, uh, Stacey. Well, and, well, I, that did not bode well to me necessarily, but I was like, okay, well, that's maybe that's just the most um, prolific or notorious thing that that Napoleon what a name. had done. I love it. Um, yeah, Napoleon Smith. That's yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, so ground is to be broken in Phoenix, Arizona, twenty twenty. So later this year. Um, do let's see uh they are also working because you know steve wozniak uh his innovation foundation is working with the gsd group as well steve wozniak I believe the was what he the was wasn't the only founder right of atari right 
and he worked with uh, Steve Jobs, right, at Apple or at IBM. If I'm not mistaken, I could just be messing all of that up. That's game. What are you talking about? Steve was. He worked at Apple with Steve Jobs. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, but I thought they were at IBM first and then they came up with. Okay, they may not have been. I just didn't think that they started at Apple because they. I thought they invented. Yeah, Apple. they do. They did invent Apple together. Yeah, they do. They, they do it. Um, so the Waz, Apple and Atari, and now they're um, Wozniak is working with them to to create these hotels. So let's see a couple quotes. One from a CEO of Atari. We were thrilled. This is uh, Fred Chesnais. I believe is his name c-h-e-s-n-a-i-s we are thrilled to partner with gsd group and true north studio to build the first ever atari branded hotels across the united states together we'll build a space that will be much more than just a place to stay atari is an iconic global brand that resonates with people of all ages countries cultures and ethnic backgrounds and we cannot wait for our fans and their families to enjoy this new hotel concept so supposedly there will be VR, AR integrated into the experience. Um, and then you, you know, you kind of go off of what they've done in the past. I mean, do you know some of Atari's best known games? Uh, not off the top of my head because I never really played them. Exactly. We're talking like Pong. Yeah, you know. Uh, Could you imagine paying like a hundred and forty dollars a night to play bloody pong? I just I know that Atari has come out with some newer games, um, but I remember hotels that had like the gaming controller connected to the to the TV, and you could like rent games. Yeah, that's common. That's common. They have all hookups. You can bring your PlayStation yeah. with you and stuff. It, that's not unusual. Yeah, you, and you've been able to yeah. do that for a long time. I mean, since I was in college, you could take your console with you and plug I it mean, in. I mean, they could definitely make the hotel fire. They could have, like, full gaming pods, integrated VR and stuff, and it could be really, really cool. However, it doesn't seem to address my fundamental concern that the majority of travelers want to see their destination and not just stay in the hotel the whole time. Right, right, right. Well, I, maybe they're making these hotels like a giant Dave and Buster's where you can, where you also get to go to sleep. So. <laughs> That's some old American boy. We'll find out. So I guess the, the, next, the, next, the next place to take this really is, so if you're going to create a gaming hotel or if you were going to make a, a hotel that you, know, you thought might accommodate would be successful how would you take this concept of potentially adding vr and ar and create a a destination that people who aren't necessarily gamers might want to go what could you add that might entice them to come as well well the very short answer to that is (laughs) i i I bless Bless you very short answer to that is i wouldn't um, I would focus instead of where I believe the uh, overnight accommodation market is going, which is Airbnbs and things like that, and ensure that those facilities 
contain the hookups and mod cons required to transport your gaming personally instead of them being inbuilt features of brick and mortar hotels. Well, that's well no I'm sorry, but like I told you I had an opinion about this. <laughs> no, you're you're right. I was just I guess if if you were Okay, well then let's come at it from a different perspective. If you if you were going to stay there because of a let's say it's a gaming convention or something and this is a gaming convention at a gaming hotel and the destination is the hotel, what would you like to see in a gaming hotel that might make staying in your room more desirable or staying in the hotel because it wouldn't just be your room. They're trying to integrate this into the entire hotel experience. So Maybe you've got a headset on that where there's Pokemon running around the entire place. I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, some AR component to while you're in the hotel that there's 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 a gaming there's a gaming component to everything you do and everywhere you go in the hotel. You're just you're thinking so small. So here. Oh, I know. Well, it's not my thing. Here's you know. here's I, my I answer know. to it, and and I I teased it earlier so I'll say it now remember how I was telling you that there's nothing about a small screen that is better than on a big screen yeah so right. uh, yeah. portable gaming is at the moment inherently flawed because you're taking a big screen experience making it compact and therefore slightly suckier so right. to me what we actually need is a cool looking VR headset i would say vr sunglasses that's where i'm thinking yeah. where you only have to carry around a controller like a full-size controller so you get the the whole experience that you normally would get being on your tv except you now have 180 degree 360 degree field of vision so you eliminate the small screen problem and if you can reduce the form factor of the headset to sunglasses it will not be as stupid looking as it is today, which means that people will start to use them like they do cell phones. It's ubiquitous today to walk down the street and there are people looking at their phone and that's all that's happening, yeah? And oh, yeah. no one thinks twice about it. However, when cell phones were huge and big and bulky, it really stood out that that was happening. It's only as they got smaller and smaller and smaller that people tended to do it. They didn't draw as much attention to themselves. And now it's everywhere. It's everything, every day, every meal. You just look around, you'll see people on their phones, and we all know it's true. So what you need is a very, very small form factor um, VR headset. Um, or AR headset, probably even better in some circumstances if it can do both, that maybe with one touch or a head movement you can flick in between clear glasses and frosted glasses so that you can game, watch movies, do whatever in complete large screen envelopment without affecting your ability to interact in the real world should you need to so maybe it comes bundled with like headphones that are attached to the set that um, are scanning your environment to notice if there's anything important that you need to be listening to and switching off noise canceling and stuff like that I think it's totally possible and with something like that a gaming hotel becomes every hotel so right. by offering really fast Wi-Fi and having interactive AR features 
in every hotel, then you can use the experience. What I think would be amazing is if you start wearing these glasses all the time, as people are always looking on their phones all the time, you're wearing the glasses all the time, and every space in every hotel, public building, out in the street, whatever, is providing you with information, insights. I mean, how cool would it be for you to, like, look through a building you were walking past? So instead of window shopping, you're, like, looking straight straight through like brick walls in order to see what's in there and stuff instead of um like having to look at the menu of a restaurant it pops up the like most popular dishes and their price as you walk by it's telling you the news like right now unfortunately i just got a news notification there was a huge stabbing in london now i was distracted by you and i didn't know there was a literal terrorist attack going on in south london just a couple miles from my house so oh, wow. that's the sort of thing. So, I mean, and obviously it's very sad and it's horrible and people have died and the, the man's been apprehended and shot. So it's over. But that's the sort of thing that an AR experience would ensure that you were always aware of. Um, and you wouldn't, it wouldn't have to rely on you referring to it. So, um, and it would also enhance your life in ways that we can't yet imagine because all the technology that exists today relies on you referring to it. Right. And um, when people go to travel, you want to offer something that enhances their experience throughout the city as well. So if you checked in the hotel and they provided you a custom itinerary and suggestions of things that you would like based on your profile, which they have access to, they could, the concierge of the hotel, could pop in occasionally while you're walking around the city and say, hey, you're right around the corner from a really popular restaurant. I took my wife there a couple weeks ago. Why don't you check out? You know, that sort of thing is the sort of experience that I think could really add to a a travel experience. And so not just gaming, because you can do that, but a like full lifestyle integration. So then you benefit from all the other aspects of travel that being stuck inside a building prevents you from doing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're checked into a specific Atari hotel, like how great would it be if they unlocked their entire catalog of games for you to play during the duration of your stay, wherever you are in the city? Right. Like how dope would that be? Wow. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. And I don't know that that's what they're going to do. <laughs> but that, that trademark. Uh, <laughs> trademark, exactly. You hear that? I said it first. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if that's how it works, but I hope so. You would know, probably. I mean, that's definitely not how it works, but I mean, I can try at least. <laughs> we will try. We will at least say that we did say it first. You said it first. It was said here first. But I actually think that that's the future because at the moment the reason why games on mobile devices are so crap is because the tiny screen, the horrible controls. If you eliminate that, if you eliminate the number one problem of mobile gaming, that the screen is small and crap, and now the screen is as big as wide as your own eyes are, then you don't have any problems. Then it's just as convenient to play on the train as it is to play in your own home. Nice. Well, 
Uh, any final thoughts on that? Well, that is the final thought. Well, I, I mean, what, do you, I don't what do you think? You didn't say what I you think. I think that is awesome. I, I think that's awesome. To me, like I said, I'm short-sighted. I, I, the Google Lens uh, was, again, just talking about another Google product that failed and they abandoned. Google Lens was theoretically supposed to be something like that, you know, where you're, you know, you're, uh, you and I also are on a little bit different ends of the spectrum in terms of I really don't, I like my information to stay private on principle. I don't want you knowing anything. I don't want facial recognition taking place all the time. I don't want to, uh, every time I log into something that it's that it's offering me to purchase, it's offering, you know, purchase opportunities for something that I accidentally Googled. Or, you know, I don't need blinds, you know, or lights, but my wife looked it up earlier. And so now when I open Instagram, I'm getting those advertisements. So, you know, the algorithm doesn't know what to do with me to begin with, just because I don't, I try to be confusing as much as possible. And so it still target advertises. And, and that's maybe that's just the nature of it. I'm not saying it wouldn't be cool that if you looked at a restaurant with the Google Lens on or, or this, these glasses from the Atari hotel and it told you you know tonight's special uh happy hour uh or whatever it you know as you're looking around you're seeing you know, they have you know what all the specials are what all the deals are just from a marketing perspective i mean i could oh i need a suit and a steak and uh you know and happy hours over there at the same time i just found all this stuff out right now that seems to be useful i'm trying to find trying to poke holes in it but that seems pretty useful well i think the problem with google glass is it looks stupid if you can solve the looking stupid <laughs> problem then you've got it like let's be honest no one looked cool with the chunky 80s brick phones they didn't they were a status symbol because they were like over a thousand dollars and people were like oh wow they're obviously rich they can afford that but they didn't look cool it's only until small little nokia phones started to come out that were like indestructible really discreet easy to carry around that they started to become something that everybody had so right. you know i think they need to go with a sunglasses concept i think they could use transition lenses or other lens technology to take it from day to night to make it comfortable for you to wear all of the time um and maybe the next evolution on that is is contact lenses for people who can stand to put things in their eyeballs like i can you know some people can't can. you know but i i have no problem i would wear contact lenses that connected me to the internet all of the time no problem at all but the, the problem they have with the current technology is vr headsets look stupid you will never use them outside the privacy of your own home you look stupid right. they look stupid everything about them is dumb yeah, <laughs> yeah. and some, they make some people throw up they make me feel a little nauseated so They've got a couple things to address, but I do think that it solves a legitimate problem if they can get over the form factor. And honestly, I bizarrely think that Apple might be the one to crack this. They have an excellent eye for form factor and product design. Everyone looked at those AirPod things that look like cigarette butts hanging out your ears, and I was probably one of the first people really to have them that I regularly saw in London, and now everybody's got them they're everywhere right. because they they simply work they do what they're supposed to do they're oddly secure the sound quality is better than most things on the market and like you know people love apple so those combinations of reasons so i think apple could actually nail this if they put time and thought into a really comfortable pair of glasses that people would be able to wear 12 to 16 hours a day that would 
it's right. suitably changed from day to night and have customizable modes where it blocks out all of your vision or it just does AR stuff so that you could use it for a variety of features. And if they can make something that looks cool, people will adopt it. There's like people, they want the technology. Think how dangerous it is to be looking at your phone to follow map directions while you're walking down a busy street. I almost get hit by a car on a regular basis because I pretty much walk everywhere. So, you know, yeah. I get out of the tube. I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go. Sometimes I forget that the cars are going the wrong direction. So I look on the wrong way. I'm not even looking at the street. I look at my phone. I almost get hit by cars. It happens on a regular basis. But if that information was in your glasses and you were looking straight ahead at the road in front of you, you wouldn't have this problem right so i think it would be safer no, yeah. it would be safer you're probably right and it definitely would be safer than looking at your phone while you're driving trying to look at directions so um which is what i do uh man there's there i think there's a lot we may be closer to some of this future tech than we know uh, I'd be so surprised if apple remember. wasn't working on this they've already like they brought wireless earbuds no one else had them think of the only other wireless headphones the wireless well, headphones is the only ones right big big old things right. i i just know that they've got these lens systems uh the military has lens systems like this uh i i know of a they i don't know what I can say or can't say. I don't know if I was told things that I'm not supposed to say. I know that they've got a lens system that can go over your eye that controls missile systems. So it's like basically they can, where they look is where the missile is going to fire. Oh my so, God. Do you know where you would go to use this thing in an even doper surrounding a bloody holodeck? See? Yes. Yeah, well, and if you, you could, yeah, that would just be a complete That would be like the evolution of laser tag. Like, that would be fire. <laughs> Imagine Fortnite. They just have, like, this massive, huge, like, okay, so I live across the street from, um, not across the street, across the river from the XL Exhibition Center, which is, like, it's, like, a mile long. It's huge. Like, imagine yeah. if that whole thing was an AR-projected battlefield, and they give you a weighted rifle when you rock up in there, and you've got your dope glasses on and your earbuds, and then you're just smashing people, like, Fortnite-style, and they, like, bring the whole, like, area in, so everybody gets packed close to it. Listen, I would play that. I would play that. <laughs> also, trademark. Hey, there's your gaming hotel. <laughs> you hear me, Epic Games, yeah. trademark. That's right. Trademark. These are all good. Well, we probably better wrap it up, and I think we can revisit this technology thing because it is continuing to change. And I know we've done an episode kind of on that, but I think it'd be worth uh, re worth revisiting. So that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.